We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures, visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Daniel, when you're at the beach... Are you able to relax and forget about physics for a minute? <laughs> you know, I love the beach. It's beautiful. But it's actually kind of hard to forget about physics at the beach. Oh, why is that? There's just so much physics happening right there in front of your eyes. The surf, the tides, the shimmering sunlight. Mm, sounds like physics is burned into your brain. <laughs> No, it's just the physics is all around us. You know, the moon is up there in the sky, literally squeezing the planet with its gravity. Yeah, it sounds like you need some uh, physics sunblock there for your brain. <laughs> think you might have to just extract my whole brain. Feed it to the fish. It's good for something, I hope. Maybe the fish will get smarter. They'll be fishicists. <laughs> I'm Jorge M. Cartunis and the author of Oliver's Great Big Universe. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and a professor at UC Irvine down here on the coast, but I hope not to end up as fish food. Eventually, aren't we all fish food or worm food? Which would you prefer, <laughs> to be eaten by worms or fish or aliens? 
aliens, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. But you'll be, you'll be food. You won't really have a preference by then. Yeah, but you know, as long as they send me some secrets to the universe before they fry me up for dinner, we're all cool. Nice. It's all about the legacy. And what do you know right before you become dinner? Yes, it's a huge difference to die knowing the answers to the secrets of the universe and not. I wonder though, if your brain is full of all this knowledge, would you cause the alien's indigestion? No, I think I'd taste better. <laughs> That's why they should tell me. That's right, you'll be juicier. You'll be juicier with knowledge. <laughs> I mean, I'll be happier, which probably makes me taste better. I don't know. Maybe happiness tastes bitter to the aliens. <laughs> Maybe they prefer people who don't know a lot of things. In that case, physics is my survival strategy for when the aliens arrive. Tastes like a nerd, so nobody <laughs> wants to eat you. Don't eat me, I'm dorky tasting. Don't eat me, I'm a geek. <laughs> but anyways, welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we do our best to make you filled with knowledge so that you are less tasty to the aliens or whichever direction that goes. We think that everything out there in the universe can and should be understood and that everybody out there on Earth is capable of understanding it. And we want to share with you that joyous moment when the ideas click into your head and you go, aha, that's how it all works. That's right. We like to serve up the entire universe to you on a plate and fill you up with amazing facts and knowledge about how the universe works, what makes it all tick, and what moves the Earth and the oceans out there around us. Some of the deepest questions in physics have to do with what's happening in objects really far away, the hearts of neutron stars or black holes. Some of them have to do with particles between our toes and how they wiggle and dance and to and fro to make our reality. Sometimes these questions are connected and what's happening up there in the cosmos affects the things down here on Earth. Yeah, that's right. We are surrounded by invisible forces that move the things around us that cause the weather the earthquakes, the magnetic fields around us, and also the tides. The deep history of physics is just people trying to understand everything they see. Why does it rain? Why does the sun rise? Why does the water rise and fall? Is it possible to understand everything that's happening to us in terms of some like clockwork mechanistic system? If we make our understanding complex enough, can we predict even the rise and fall of the ocean? And so today on the podcast, we'll be tackling the question... What are land tides? Now, Daniel, we're not talking about like the clothes laundry detergent, are we? <laughs> like the kind that gets dirt out of your clothes, <laughs> tide pods. I think given the poor history of physics naming things, we should be pretty careful drawing conclusions just from the name of this effect. Oh, so it is possible this is a laundry episode. <laughs> this episode might be like pouring detergent on your brain, yes. And <laughs> we're airing out the dirty laundry of physics here. <laughs> No, in fact, I think this is a topic which is actually probably pretty well-named. Oh, yes. Yeah? Sometimes it's well-named. Sometimes it's not well-named. Sometimes the quality of the naming ebbs and flows. That's right. And sometimes we like to serve that wave, hopefully get to a place where we uh, understand more about the universe and our whole planet. And so this is, I guess, something that is happening here on Earth, Daniel, right? Land tides are happening here on Earth. They're happening on the moon. They're happening on every planet we know of. Whoa, interesting. Even the gas planets? Mm, I guess they're probably having gas tides. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's medication you can take for that. All right, well, it's an interesting question. And so as usual, we were wondering how many people out there had thought about the idea of tides on land. 
Thanks to everybody who volunteers for this audience participation segment. We'd love to hear your voice on our podcast. So please write to me to questions at danielandjorge.com if you'd like to play. So think about it for a second. What do you think of when you hear the words land tides? Here's what people had to say. Well, we all know what sea tides are. Um, I guess it's probably the same effect, uh, but not pulling water, pulling land. Um, maybe some land that behaves a little bit like water. I don't know. Maybe there are tides in the Sahara Desert. That makes me think of the ocean tides. Uh, so the water being pulled by the moon. Uh, I know the earth is kind of being squished a bit from, uh, it's not perfectly round, uh, from the gravitational forces and, and centrifugal force and things like that. Uh, so I'm going to guess that that's part of, you know, all that together, especially uh, gravity due to the moon, the sun, other, uh, you know, astrological bodies uh, all contribute to the land moving. I haven't heard of land tides before, but I would imagine that they are similar to ocean tides where the moon's gravity affects the surface of the earth just um, on land instead of on the ocean. If I had to guess, I would say the effect of tidal force from the moon on plate tectonics. Seems a little bit um, straightforward sounding, perhaps. Tides related to the land. Yeah, exactly. The name seems to convey basically what it is. Sounds like I'm the only one who thought about laundry detergent. <laughs> Might be because it's time for me to do laundry. <laughs> the tide in my laundry basket is getting a little high. You have a big stack of pajamas? <laughs> That's right, my, <laughs> my daily uniform. <laughs> it's growing so large that it has its own gravitational pull, and so it's got some tide inside your house. That's right. It, it's causing the um, tide of bananas to ebb and flow <laughs> just from the sheer gravity of its size. It might cause some marital tides if you're arguing about who's going to do that laundry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it all tides over, so it's all good. <laughs> well, let's talk about tides in general and we'll get to land tides. But first, maybe let's talk about the regular tides most people are familiar with, which are ocean tides or the tides in the sea. Yeah, because it turns out that land tides and ocean tides are pretty intimately connected. So you got to understand ocean tides first. Ocean tides come from tidal forces. That's how they get their name. And tidal forces are just an effect of gravity and of objects not being point masses, of things actually being like extended spheres so the gravity varies. We know that gravity gets weaker or stronger as you get further or closer to something. And so if you're in different places on the Earth, for example, you're going to feel the sun's gravity or the moon's gravity with a different strength. Well, let's maybe take a step back here and talk about what tides are. So like if you're at the beach, the tide just means that the general, the average level of the ocean goes up and down. Yeah, when we talk about tides, we usually mean the ocean tides. And yeah, the ocean goes up and it goes down. Like if you're at the beach, sometimes the water rises up higher than it does other times. And you might notice when you're sitting there on the sand, you take a nap and you wake up, oops, you're underwater. And that's not because of a rogue wave. It's because the overall level of the ocean has risen. Mm, when do you think humans first noticed this? Probably the first time they reached the beach, right? Yeah, I think people have always noticed this. I mean, people have been living on the beach in Southern California for tens of thousands of years. And so pretty sure tides were part of their life. Right, but I imagine they started in the beaches of Africa, perhaps? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's tides at every shore around the world. Mm. And now does it depend on the size of the body of water? Like is it bigger in some oceans or lakes? Does it happen in a lake? It turns out to be quite complicated, the size of the tides. It depends on not just the depth of the ocean and the size of the body of water, but also like the shape of the harbor 
and the shape of the land nearby. There's all sorts of complicated effects that change how the ocean water goes up and down at a particular point on the shore. Mm. All right, well, let's dig into the physics. You said it's sort of related to the gravity of the moon. The reason the ocean goes up and down is mostly because of the moon, also because of the sun. The physics that underlies it is what we call tidal forces. If the moon is pulling on you, then it pulls on you harder if you're on a spot on the Earth that's closer to the moon than if you're on the other side of the Earth. And that's because that's just how gravity works, right? Yeah, that's how gravity works. The closer you are, the harder the force. So physicists tend to like to think about planets as point particles. The Earth is just like a dot that has the mass of the Earth at its center of mass. And we think about the motion of the Earth using that. But in actuality, every place on the Earth feels a different tug from the moon because they're all at different distances and different angles. Right, like if you were just out there in space, if you were closer to the moon, you would feel a stronger pull towards the moon than if you were farther away from the moon. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing happens to all the points around the Earth. The same thing happens to all the points around the Earth. And this isn't just connected to the moon or to the sun. It happens for everything that's gravitational. We talk about it in the context of black holes, because black holes have extremely strong gravity, if you get too close to them, then the difference between the gravity on your feet and on your head might be strong enough to pull you apart. That's the origin of spaghettification. It's just tidal forces. The fact that you're not a point particle. If you were just a point particle, there'd be one force of gravity on you. But because you're an extended object with different distances from the black hole or from the moon or from the sun, you feel different forces of gravity at different points on your body. Mm, interesting. So then where does the word tidal come in? Oh, yeah, the word tidal comes in because this is basically an explanation for the ocean tides. So that's why we call them tidal forces. All right. So then how does the moon cause the tides in the ocean? So the way to think about tidal forces is to think about how the force of gravity on you is different than if you were at the center of the Earth. The center of the Earth is sort of like the reference gravity. If you were at the center of the Earth, what would be the gravity of the moon? And then as you move around the surface of the Earth, you can ask, how is my gravity different than if I was at the center of the Earth? And so if you're on a point on the Earth that's closer to the moon than the center, then you're going to feel stronger gravity towards the moon. If you're on the other side of the Earth, now you're farther from the moon, you're going to feel weaker gravity. So the tidal force is the difference. So what that means is that on the closer side of the Earth, there's basically a tidal force towards the moon. And on the distant side of the Earth, there's a tidal force away from the moon. Oh, why is it away? Aren't I still being pulled towards the moon? Even if I'm on the far side of the Earth? Mm -hmm. You are still being pulled towards the moon. The force of gravity is towards the moon, but it's less than the force of gravity you would feel at the center of the Earth. So relative to the force at the center of the Earth, the tidal force is away from the moon. I see. You're being pulled less than the center. So in a way, you're being pulled away from the center of the Earth. Exactly. And that's all we usually talk about, how one part is being pulled towards and one part is effectively being pulled away in a relative sense. But there's also sort of sideways tidal forces. If you're at a point along a circle that's between the point that's closest to the moon and the point that's furthest from the moon, then the effective tidal forces are towards the center of the Earth because the moon is pulling you not just towards the moon, but also basically towards the center of the Earth. So, for example, like the moon sort of rotates around the Earth, sort of along the equator line, but more or less, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the kind of the circle mm -hmm. it goes mm -hmm. around in. And so you're saying like the north and south poles of the Earth are being pulled kind of towards the equator, basically. Yeah, that's right. And so the overall effect is to try to squeeze the Earth like into a football shape. The closest part gets pulled closer, 
the furthest part gets pulled less and the center gets squeezed towards the center of the earth. Mm. All right. So then the effect of the moon is to squish the earth. It's not just like pulling at the center of the earth. It's like kind of pulling at the earth, but also kind of squishing it or kind of uh, trying to pull into a football shape. Yeah, exactly. And this is all relative to how the moon would be pulling on the earth if it was just like a point particle at the center of mass. Because the earth it isn't the point particle, has all these different gravitational forces on it. And the effect is basically to try to squeeze it into a football. And the weird thing is that the moon is moving relative to the earth. So it's like it's squeezing in one moment, it's squeezing it in one direction to make it look like football. But then as the moon rotates, then now the, all those forces changes. So mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like you're massaging the earth. <laughs> exactly. You're massaging the earth and you're running circles around the earth at the same time. So you're always massaging different spots. Yeah, it's a 360 massage. <laughs> and that's the origin of the tidal patterns, right? The tides go up and the tides go down. Basically, the water on the surface of the earth gets pulled into that football shape because water is much more flexible than the earth is. So the water is deeper. The conical parts of that football and shallower at the edges of the football. What do you mean it's more flexible? It's easier to squeeze water than it is to squeeze granite. Or in this case, you're saying it's easier to stretch water. Yeah, exactly. To stretch water. So like the parts on the, on the equator that are closest to the moon, the earth is being squeezed and stretched, but the water on the surface on that side is getting stretched even more. Mm -hmm. And that's what causes the tides. And that's what causes the tides. Not just the moon though, right? The sun also plays a role because there's tidal forces from the sun. The sun also has gravity on the earth. And as the earth moves around the sun, different parts of the earth feel gravity differently from the sun because they're different distances from the sun. Mm, I guess that maybe as a kid, I thought that maybe I knew that the tides were caused by the moon, but I thought maybe it was like it was pulling the water. And so it's, it's basically like sucking all the water to one side of the earth. Like it's bringing water from the far side of the earth to the near side of the earth facing the moon. It is doing that. But on the other side, it's also sort of pulling the earth harder than it's pulling the water. And so it's leaving some of the water behind. So you get deeper water on the spot closest to the moon and on the other side as well. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. But I thought the water was more squishable. Water is more squishable. So it responds more quickly to these tidal forces. So the tidal forces on the spot closest to the moon are pulling it towards the moon, making that water deeper. The tidal forces on the spot opposite side are pushing things away from the center of the earth. And so that's sort of pushing that water up. And then around the circumference, it's squeezing it. So it squeezes that water and pushes it towards the sort of cones of the football. Mm. And so like if you look at a tide schedule for a beach, you're seeing like the dynamics of the moon and the sun and the effects they have on the earth. Yeah, exactly. It's like this dance between all three things is what causes those weird title charts. Yeah, the dance between those three things is part of the explanation. The moon dominates. Of course, the sun is much more massive and has more gravity, but we're much further from the sun. And on balance, the moon's tidal forces are like two times as powerful as the sun's. Overall, this is a pretty tiny effect relative to Earth's gravity. It's like one part per million or less variation in the Earth's gravity, but it can cause big effects. Like there's places in Canada where there's a 16 meter difference between the low tide and the high tide. Whoa, wait, 16 meter difference in the height of the water or like the shoreline? In the height of the water. Oh, wow. Why is it more there than in other places? So there's a bunch of different things going on. Number one is it's not just the simple model of the Earth and the moon. Also, the moon is sort of declined relative to the Earth. It's not actually orbiting around the equator which means that like sometimes it's closer to the northern hemisphere and sometimes it's closer to the southern hemisphere. 
So you get this cycle they call a fortnightly cycle, fortnight meaning every two weeks, because the moon's orbit is about a month, obviously. And so every two weeks, you're in one half of the cycle, and every two weeks, you're in the other half of the cycle. So there's lots of these little effects that are all gravitational that tug on the water differently. And then there's the response of the water. So it depends on like the shape of the harbor and how the deep ocean tides are affected and all sorts of like resonance effects in the water because you're pulling on the water, but it's not responding instantaneously. It's sloshing around. So which is why you get different tides in different places. Right. Like I think in the um, Caribbean Ocean, the tide changes are much less than, the, than in the Pacific Ocean, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it depends on the depth of the water, it depends on the shape of the shore, it depends on how the water is flowing. It's very complicated. And actually out there in the deep ocean, we don't know very much about the effect of tides and the depth of them. We've measured them on the shore because they're very important for boats coming in and boats leaving. But out there in the deep ocean, it's much murkier. Well, I wonder if it's, it's a bigger effect. Like the deeper the ocean is, the more it's going to basically get stretched by the moon. So like maybe in the middle of the ocean, the height of the ocean is, is changing a lot. Yeah, exactly. We just have fewer sensors out there and fewer like immediate reasons to know. We're curious from a sort of like geological perspective, you know, for people who really want to understand the tides. But it's not as important for understanding like when your tuna crawler is going to come back. All right. Well, let's dig into what land tides are now and how those affect the shape of the Earth and maybe how these forces can also affect our whole galaxy. So let's dig into that. But first, let's take a quick break. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. 
comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We're talking about tides. Now, Daniel, what's the history of tides and our understanding of them? Yeah, we've known about tides forever, right? As long as we've known about lightning and rain and all sorts of stuff. And people have been wondering for a long time about the cause of it and trying to understand it. And it's obviously connected to the moon, right? The cycles of the moon are connected to the tides. And so as far back as the Greeks, we have records of people speculating that somehow the moon caused it. And the Greeks had no understanding of gravity as we do, of course. So they definitely didn't understand tidal forces and couldn't put together like a mechanistic explanation. But somehow they knew it was related to the moon? They suspected it was related to the moon just because it's linked to lunar cycles, right? Is it? I don't know. Like it, the tide goes up and down twice a day, I think, for most beaches, at least in California. But I don't see the moon go up and down twice a day. I think if you keep close track of where the moon and the sun and the earth are, and the Greeks definitely did this. And we have also evidence of Islamic astronomers doing this. You notice the connection between where the moon is and where the tides are, right? Because remember, it's the location of the moon that's dictating this. Where the moon is closest to the earth is where there are going to be high tides. And then also on the other side of it. So the location of the moon is definitely connected to the height of the tides. You don't need to know gravity just to see this connection. Mm, but is there, I wonder if there's a delay like, do you see a delay between when the moon is closest to the Earth and when the tides are highest? There's definitely a delay, right? Because water doesn't respond instantaneously and there are all these other effects. But people have been debating what the actual mechanism was. Galileo, for example, suggested that it just had to do with the sloshing of water as the Earth moved around the sun. He thought that if you had an object covered in water and it was orbiting the sun, that the water was going to slosh around it the way like a bucket would slosh as you walk with it. Or I wonder if they thought like maybe there was a... Like a giant taking a bath in the ocean. <laughs> like, do they think maybe, you know, like the Archimedes effect, like if you get in the ocean, <laughs> the water rises. Did they think maybe it was related to something like that? That'd be a very regular giant. 
Yeah, the Greeks probably did have some mythology related to the tides. Poseidon probably controlled them. I'm not an expert in that. But the first real explanation for the tides in terms of a mechanism comes, of course, from Isaac Newton. In his groundbreaking work, Principia, where he lays out the theory of gravity, he's also at the same time able to explain the tides and why the tides happen twice a day because the water piles up at the spot closest to the moon and the spot furthest. Interesting, because the moon goes around the Earth once a day? Or I guess technically the Earth spins once a day. <laughs> yeah, the motion of the moon relative to the Earth is roughly once per day. Yeah, that's what a day is really. And then later, I guess we got fancier with the models of this and we're able to predict more accurately what the tides are going to be. Yeah, exactly. Newton's calculations allow you to predict the forcing, like how much force there is from the moon on the water. But the actual motion of the water requires you to understand fluid dynamics and ocean depth and take into account like the Earth's rotation and the shape of the coast. And so over the last few hundred years, people have added all that understanding to a model of the tides. And now we can predict the tides like years in advance at any point on the coast. Wow. Just from the position of the moon where we know it's going to be in the future and the sun. Exactly. And the models of the ocean and the Earth's rotation, taking all of this into account. Mm. All right. Well, let's get to the question of the episode, which is what are land tides? Now, Daniel, I don't see the land going up and down at the beach <laughs> or anywhere. So what does this term mean? So the term means exactly what you think it means, that the Earth's land goes up and down the same way that water in the ocean does. It's just that the Earth doesn't respond the same way the ocean does because the Earth is not made of water. Mm, all right. So what do you mean by the uh, land tide? Am I going to see this effect or am I just going to have to think about the idea that maybe I'm further away from the center of the Earth at some times than other times? It's not something you need to factor into your daily life. It's not really going to change your drive to work or even if you work on like a shrimp trawler or any sort of ocean vessel, it's not really going to affect you. But it is cool, I think, to understand that the whole Earth is being squeezed. The tidal forces don't just affect the water. The earth is also there feeling them. And the earth is not perfectly rigid, right? Yes, it's made of rock, which is definitely stiffer than the water, but it's not perfectly rigid. And so it responds. Meaning like you can technically squeeze and stretch rock, right? It won't stretch or squeeze a lot, but technically it's going to move a little bit, tiny bit. Yeah, exactly. And it's not even a tiny little bit. I was reading a calculation that says that New York City rises by more than a foot as these land tides progress. Whoa, but relative to what, I guess? Yeah, relative to the center of the Earth. So it's not something you notice because it's not like one block in Manhattan moves up a foot relative to another block. The whole city moves together as the crust of the Earth is flexing. Mm. Basically, you're sort of treating the Earth like a bouncy ball, right? <laughs> or like one of those stress balls. Yeah, and part of the history here is really cool because it goes back to when people were trying to figure out what is the Earth made out of? Like, is the Earth just a big ball of solid rock or is it totally molten and fluid? Like, is the Earth a water balloon or is it a marble or is it a bouncy ball? And so people were trying to figure this out hundreds of years ago before they could like dig into the Earth or before we had modern seismology that reveals what's going on inside of the Earth by how earthquakes like bounce around on all the internal layers. You mean more like a lava balloon? <laughs> yeah, a lava balloon, exactly. In the late 1800s, the prevailing theory of what was inside the earth was that it was molten, right? People saw lava and they're like, oh, well maybe the earth is just filled with lava, right? Then maybe it's fluid. So then scientists try to calculate like, all right, well then what should be the earth tides? If the earth is just a balloon filled with lava, 
then Lord Kelvin actually calculated that we should have huge earth tides because if the earth is as flexible as the ocean is, right, if it's just basically an ocean of lava underneath a thin crust, then we should be seeing huge tides as big as we see in the ocean. But would lava be as squishable as water? Isn't it uh, thicker and more denser? Yeah, it's definitely thicker and denser. So it's not exactly like water. But if you take all of that into account, you predict huge earth tides. You predict that the land should change by meters and meters. And we definitely didn't see that. And so that's one very early sign they had that the earth is more rigid than water internally. It's just like a way to see what's inside the earth without even looking inside. Mm, so if the earth was made out of all a lava inside, we would, we would basically see New York City rise and fall by a lot more than a foot. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Would like would you, would you? I guess you would see see it as a wave. Like New York City would rise a bunch and then go down, and then you know New Jersey or Pennsylvania would then rise and fall. Right? That's kind of the idea. Yeah, and you would have much more dramatic like earthquakes because land tides can cause a lot of pressure on the boundaries between the plates and cause all sorts of earthquakes. So it would make life on Earth much more dramatic. Mm. But thankfully, we're not a giant lava ball. <laughs> We're uh, fairly rigid. We're mostly rock up until uh, the core of the Earth, right? Or the inner mantle. Yeah, it's quite dense, but it is actually pretty fluid. But the outer edge is pretty hard and definitely much less fluid than water. So original calculations by Lord Kelvin, the fact that he couldn't see any Earth tides himself, basically let him estimate that the internal part of the Earth was more rigid than glass, but less rigid than iron, for example. So very, very rough. And then around 100 years ago, people started trying to actually measure this thing. So people built these tilt meters to try to see, like, can you tell if the earth is tilting? Like, if you have essentially a bathtub filled with water, then the surface of the water tells you, like, where gravity is all equal. And then if the surface of the earth tilts on which the bathtub is sitting, right, if there's like a wave that passes through the ground, It'll tilt the bathtub and you'll see waves in the bathtub. Mm. So people were using these like long tubes of water looking for waves in them to see if they could measure the earth tilting, looking for basically for waves in the ground. Interesting. So like if you wanted to see if New York City went up a foot or not, or more than a foot, you would maybe put one of these tilt meters on the outskirts of New York City so that when New York City goes up, this thing would tilt and would tell you, hey, New York City went up. Yeah, exactly. These days, you can measure land tides most precisely with gravitometers. Things are basically accelerometers. Right? You can measure the strength of gravity because you're measuring the acceleration of the Earth pushing up on you to overcome your natural freefall. So essentially, every accelerometer really is a gravitometer. So the way they measure land tides now is they measure how the gravity is varying. Because as you get further from the center of the Earth, your gravity decreases. Mm, but doesn't the moon affect that gravity as well? It absolutely does. Yeah, so what you're measuring is your decrease on your gravity from being further or closer to the center of the Earth. And you're also measuring the moon pulling on you directly and the sun. So you got to disentangle all of this stuff to get the land tide effect out. But that's how they measure it most precisely now. Mm, so like you're saying, like my weight here on Earth varies depending on where the moon is, mm -hmm. not on what I had for lunch. Yeah. All of those things. <laughs> All of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. The moon is pulling on you differently based on where it is. So it's like the tidal force on Jorge directly. But then also the moon is changing the shape of the earth, which changes your distance from the center of the earth, which changes the earth's gravity on you. 
And at the same time, the moon is pulling on the oceans, which makes some of the oceans deeper or less deep. And that also has an effect on the shape of the earth, right? There's this like ocean pressure, this irregular loading on the earth also affects the shape of the earth. And then back and forth, because as earth itself gets squeezed by the moon, that affects the ocean tides. So the whole thing is coupled in a really complicated way. Yeah, it seems complicated. So then if you measure just the gravity, how do you know what's doing what? You have to have a model of all of these things, and then you can disentangle the various pieces as you measure how it changes over time. Mm. So then if the moon is directly over me, then I'm going to weigh a little bit less. Am I going to be able to feel that? Like, what's the effect of the moon on me? You could measure it if you had a very sensitive gravitometer. The size of the effect relative to the acceleration due to Earth's gravity, again, is like one part in a million or one part in 10 million. So you need a pretty precise gravitometer to detect this effect. Mm. Well, I wonder, you know, there's so much of biology on Earth that is tied to the moon cycle, or at least is sort of tied to the moon cycle. Uh, do you think all this biology is measuring the gravity somehow or are, or is it just going by moonlight? I think you're absolutely right that a lot of biology is tied to the tidal cycle and the cycles of the moon. But I think that's because of the local effects, you know, the tide going up, the tide going down, or there being more moonlight or less moonlight. I think all these things are dependent on those secondary effects, not directly on the gravity. But hey, I could be wrong. You know, we recently discovered that birds have little quantum mechanical sensors in their eyeballs that detect the magnetic field of the Earth and help them navigate. So biology continues to surprise us. Yeah, we might have uh, sensors within us that can detect a millionth of a, of a gram or something of gravity changes. Biology is amazing. I'll never understand it. All right. Well, those are land tides. Now let's get into even bigger tides, bigger waves. Let's talk about galactic tides what that means about our search for other planets. But first, let's take another quick break. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We're talking about the tides, why they're high, why they're low. And we talked about how the tides here on Earth affect not just the oceans, but the Earth itself. The moon is squeezing all the rocks on Earth, changing the shape of the Earth, making us rise and fall. And now, Daniel, you're saying this also happens on a galactic level? Yeah, the motion of the sun through the galaxy depends on gravity. It's being pulled by the gravitational center of the galaxy, this huge black hole and all those stars. It's also being pulled by lots of other stars. And so the motion of the sun through the galaxy is gravitational. But our solar system itself is not a point object, right? So the galaxy pulls differently on different parts of the solar system. The parts that are closer to the center feel a stronger gravitational force than things that are further from the center. And so the same way that like the moon is massaging the earth and of course the earth is massaging the moon and the sun is massaging everybody, the center of the galaxy is massaging our whole solar system. Well, because I guess technically we're going around the galaxy center, sort of like the, the earth is going around, around the sun, right? Exactly. Like we're trapped in the gravitational pool or pull of everything in the galaxy. Of everything in the galaxy, yeah. It takes about a quarter of a billion years for the sun to go all the way around the galaxy. And it's like a 30 million year cycle for it to go like above the plane and below the plane. It's got this really funky orbit around the center of the galaxy. But yeah, the sun is locked in gravitationally around the center of the galaxy. And that gravity is massaging the solar system. Remember, the solar system is not just the sun, right? It's also the planets. So the Earth's orbit gets tweaked a little bit by this gravitational massage. 
which is one reason we talked about like the stability of the Earth's orbit is important because there's all sorts of things like perturbing it slightly. But on the outside of the solar system is this huge cluster of icy rocks called the Oort cloud, billions or maybe trillions of blocks of ice, which we think are probably the source of long period comets, comets with periods like hundreds of years. The galaxies squeezing them can perturb them. So they might be like in a stable orbit around the sun, but then they get pushed a tiny little bit and they get tugged on by other stuff. And boom, now they're falling in towards the center of the solar system. Mm, I guess what you mean is like, as the Earth goes around the sun in the solar system, sometimes it's closer to the center of the galaxy than it is in other times in our orbit. And so that you're saying the galaxy is then shaping our orbit here of the Earth? The galaxy definitely plays a role in the orbit of the Earth and in its eccentricity. The Earth is pretty stable in its orbit, as we talked about. But other things are much less stable. They're lower mass. They're much further from the sun. So it's unlikely that the galactic tides are going to cause the Earth to plummet into the sun. Some little distant rock that's barely being held by the sun's gravity is much more likely to get its orbit disturbed and then to fall in towards the center of the solar system. Mm, doesn't it depend on like the orientation of our solar system relative to the plane of the galaxy? Like if the galaxy and our solar system were in the same plane, then you would see a huge effect, right? Like as you go around the sun, then sometimes you're really far away from the galaxy, mm -hmm. center of the galaxy, and sometimes you're really closer. But let's say like our solar system was more like uh, like a bicycle wheel going around the center of the galaxy, then then would it matter where in the orbit you were? You would be almost the same distance from the center of the galaxy. Yeah, you're right. For things that orbit in the plane of the solar system, that is very important. And our solar system is tilted relative to the plane of the galaxy. How tilted? So there's like a 60 degree angle between the plane of the galaxy and the planetary orbital plane. So it's really quite tilted. It's not fully a bicycle wheel, but there's like a 60 degree tilt there. But the stuff in the Oort cloud is not mostly in the plane of the planets. The Oort cloud is like a sphere. It hasn't collapsed into a disk or into the plane. And so that stuff is always feeling tidal forces. There's always something closer to the center of the galaxy and something further. Mm, interesting. So then, and as you're saying, these rocks in these uh, asteroid belt uh, are more sensitive because they're smaller. And so the, then the galactic tidal forces can really make a difference there. Yeah, they're smaller, but also they're further from the sun. And so the sun just has less powerful hold on them. And this is a big deal for our life, right? Because comets plummeting towards the center of the solar system can be pretty deadly. One of them impacts Earth, then boom, right? Mass extinction. But also comets might bring uh, water and things like that, right? Those might be important then for life. That's exactly right. We think that a huge fraction of our oceans may come from comets doing just that. So in terms of like life evolving, you want a bunch of galactic tides <laughs> squeezing your Earth cloud so that you rain down frozen comets onto newly formed planets so they get oceans and form life. But then you don't want a whole lot later on while that life is being incubated and it's still fragile. Mm. Well, speaking of life also, aren't tidal forces in other moons, for example, around the moons of Jupiter, don't those affect like the temperature of those moons which might affect whether there's life or not absolutely we think that some of the internals of moons around jupiter are warm precisely because of these tidal forces again you're squeezing the entire planet which causes friction inside of it because you're massaging you're changing its shape it's not just like it becomes a football and now it moves like a football which part of it is the cone of the football is changing 
And so you're constantly squeezing it. It's like you take cold dough out of the fridge and you knead it. It warms up, right? You're applying energy to it, internal friction. Yeah, like if you massage a, a ball of clay, it's going to warm up eventually. Exactly. So some of these moons are warm on the inside. We think they have liquid water oceans underneath a frozen crust because of tidal forces, not because of internal heat like the Earth, but because of tidal forces could be keeping those moons warm and providing a place for life here in our solar system or in other solar systems. Wow. So in, for example, like Europa, right, which is a moon of Jupiter, mm -hmm. if there's life down there, basically their only source of energy might be the tidal forces of Jupiter. Yeah, exactly. And those are moon tides, I guess you would call them. I'm not sure. You're squeezing the whole moon and that's where the energy comes from. Basically, you're extracting it from the gradient of gravity of Jupiter. Right, yeah. And they wouldn't see the sun from underneath those oceans and that ice. So like basically Jupiter gravitationally would be like their sun. Yeah, I was just thinking about whether they'd also be able to detect the gravity of the sun. Imagine your life that's formed under that ocean. You've never seen the stars, but if you're very sensitive to gravity, you might detect the presence of Jupiter. And you probably eventually would detect the presence of the sun as well, perturbing effectively the gravity of Jupiter. That'd be much more difficult than it is here on Earth because Jupiter's gravity would be stronger and the sun's gravity would be weaker. So it'd be a much more subtle effect than the sun's gravity here. But eventually those underwater scientists would figure it out. Interesting. You mean those fishes? <laughs> And that would make them tastier because of that knowledge. <laughs> now, I wonder if you're a fish that studies the stars. Are you an astrophysicist? <laughs> I think I'm finishist with this kind of pun. <laughs> I'm just fishing for ideas here, Daniel. <laughs> it's true that tides may power life underneath the frozen crust of a moon. It's also possible that tides had a really important role in the development of life here on Earth and the development of life on other exoplanets. Yeah, because I think scientists think that the tides had a lot to do with how life evolved here on Earth, right? Or at least maybe how life got out of the oceans. I hear a lot of different ideas and all of it's very speculative, all the way back to like the actual formation of life itself from non-life that the tides and the sloshing of all that water at the shore helps like mix together primitive molecules that can come together to make DNA or RNA or whatever self-replicating molecule. Basically that the turbulence itself there was crucial biochemically. That, you know, if, if water was just like static and sitting there, it would take much longer for self-replicating processes to get going. Meaning like the moon and the tides are a way to steer the ocean kind of in a way, which, mm -hmm. which you maybe kind of need in order to just get life going, mix, mix the right chemicals. I mean, nobody likes to be called a pot stirrer, but yeah, the moon is basically stirring the pot down here. The tub stirrer. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of different speculations. It might just be the tub stirring. Some people think that having the tides is like a way to concentrate solutions. Like you throw water up on hot rocks that were sitting in the sun and then the water evaporates and you like have concentrated all your chemicals so you can get like more reactions in them. Lots of speculative ideas about what might have happened billions of years ago to get life started. And then that speculation extends all the way to like actually getting life out of the ocean. Some people think that tide pools are a place that fish learned to walk. Basically being stranded in a tide pool meant you better evolve some legs. Well, you mean like some fish were hanging out by the beach, <laughs> by the shore during high tide, but then when low tide came, they're like, oh, we're stuck here in the land and maybe we should learn to walk. You know, that makes me wonder. I never thought about this. Do fish enjoy the beach the same way land animals do? Do they go near the shore and they're like, ah, this is so beautiful and relaxing. Interesting. Like, do they take vacations at the shore? 
Exactly. Yeah. Do fish take vacations at the shore? Deep questions we're uncovering today. I, I think they kind of do, right? Because in the deep ocean, they're more vulnerable mm. to getting eaten. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, more food for them near the shore. <laughs> so it is kind of a kind of a resort, kind of a vacation spot for them. Here, a physicist and a cartoonist speculate about marine biology. But I think the actual idea, speculative as it is, is that land walking animals could have started as fish stranded in tide pools. Not that like an individual fish, of course, is going to sprout legs, but there's fish that have this ability to like scramble over a rock or two are more likely to survive getting stranded in tide pools. Mm, like maybe stranded a hundred fish or something. Mm-hmm. Most of them died, but the ones that somehow had some weird gene that let them flop around a little bit better with their mm-hmm. fins, maybe those eventually evolved into the animals that uh, left the ocean and became us. Exactly. And so having tides on a planet really changes what it's like for life to evolve there, to even start from pre-life organic molecules and to develop. And so when we look out into other solar systems for planets that might have life on them, we're also very interested in whether they have moons stirring the pot down there on the surface. Well, like maybe you're saying the only reason we have life here on Earth is because we had a moon. Like if we hadn't had a moon, maybe life wouldn't have started. We don't know. It's just N equals one. But that's a really interesting speculation. And if we go out there and we search all these solar systems, we find a bunch of planets with moons that have life on them and a bunch of planets very similar, but without a moon and no life then that would be a strong argument that you need a moon to get life started. But hey, most likely we go out there and find something even weirder than we expected. Mm, Like maybe we're all moonies. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. (laughs) It means some parts of the internet will be over the moon to learn this truth. (laughs) All right, well, that's another reminder that there are all these hidden forces all around us pushing and pulling us, and sometimes we're not aware of the effects they might have, but... If you look at the physics of it, if you look at the details, maybe they have the ultimate effect and and maybe they're responsible for life itself. And the simple physics model of the solar system of just points orbiting each other with gravity isn't enough to describe the reality of our lives and the origin of life. Everything is not just pushing and pulling on each other. It's squeezing, it's tugging, it's massaging itself. It's not just squeezing the ocean. It's actually squeezing our entire planet causing the crust to flex and stimulating earthquakes, but also maybe the reason we're here. Well, not just the earth, it's also squeezing us technically, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You have tides as well. Does that mean the moon is actively chewing me? (laughs) It's trying to spaghettify you. (laughs) Turn me into pasta (laughs) to slurp me up or to feed to the fishes. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. For science and curiosity, come find us on social media where we answer questions and post videos. We're on Twitter, Discord, Insta, and now TikTok. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 